0: The majority of people just say, oh, we don't have time to look at a policy, or we don't have time to do a mental health first aid. I just think it's no excuse anymore. We've got the opportunity to be bettering our country and the mental illness in our country if we just all did just a little bit more.
1: Today on Dirty Linen, we're doing something that we seem to be making a bit of a habit of, which is returning to Tasmania to speak to somebody who was an early guest on the show. So in July 2020, way back on episode 16, we chatted to Bianca Welsh, the owner of Stillwater in Launceston. Uh, but someone who has such a broad spread of interest and influence over the hospitality industry, particularly around mental health, mental health first aid, wellness, and I suppose running a really conscious and intentional business. Bianca, welcome back to Daddy Linen. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Stoked it's- to be back. Yeah. Stoked to have you back. So um, it, today we're going to focus a little bit on a report that's just been released through Deputy. Um, the report is called, uh, just scroll to the top of the 66 page report or whatever it is. It's called The Big, Sh- the Big Shift, The Changing Landscape of Aussie Hospitality. Um, yeah. Have you had a role in this report? uh no just uh very fascinated to see the results
0: i mean they were it was um uh s- the data from obviously deputy users from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty two so it's a really decent amount of time uh it was like over like uh, th- uh, ninety million no fourteen million shifts yeah Incredibly,
1: yeah. yeah. so crunching a lot of data. So, yeah, I think there's around 220,000 Australian hospitality workers, you know, have their shifts organised through Jeopardy. So it's a pretty good spread of data. Um, so, yeah, I mean, before we dig into that, just tell me a little bit about how things are going for you down at Stillwater um, and in, in Tassie Hospitality.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, it's going really well, I suppose, in terms of trade, uh, lots of interstate tourists around, little trickle of international, not much, but you're seeing the odd odd international tourist. Um, uh, Yeah, business is great, like in terms of people want to spend, they want to eat, which is fantastic, they want to stay. We've got seven uh, boutique rooms on site uh, these days as well, so that's been a really interesting market to see uh, that, I guess, higher-end spender that they've got – they they really want that experience, that that experiential travel is definitely um, a big demand. Uh, we kind of wish we had a much larger hotel, but then that kind of defeats the purpose of being boutique. Um, uh, but I guess it's just the same challenges as per the big cities and even more regional spots than us. We're in Launceston, Tasmania. Um and that's trying to find staff, uh, the rising costs of everything, you know, sitting down last month in our, our partners meeting as we do every month and just looking at things going. It's it's a solid 30% increase across the board of cost of goods. Uh, wage increases are about to come. So there's lots of pressure uh, we feel from that end of the business, um, but we're very grateful to have so many people coming through the door. So it's just trying to find that balance of um, – of wellness for all of us as from business owner right through to worker.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, or interesting in inverted commas, crunch of factors, isn't it? Where, um, I mean, the report spoke about 42% of employers are planning to increase wages and salaries. Um and you'd have to assume that's because the market's just so competitive. Uh, at this, at the same time, people are planning. Twenty-two percent of people are planning to introduce flexible work. So again, I'd say that's you know about being an employer of choice. I mean, how do you st- you know stay competitive or be even more competitive um, when it's so hard to balance the books? Yes.
0: Yeah, it is. It is the challenge. It's kind of the creativity of COVID is now the creativity uh, to pivot again. And I, I don't really love that word pivot, but um, to to put our thinking caps on to be innovative is really difficult. Uh, the way I write job ads is completely different now, and that's to promote the things that we do in house that we consider to be best practice around mental health and well being. Having rosters in advance paying above award if we can, um, uh, the psychological safety and well-being of our staff is something we hold as a high priority. So those job ads now, instead of me just writing what I'm looking for, uh, there's probably I'd say almost more than 50% of the job ad is more about what we can provide to that in, to that worker. Uh, and as the report found as well, the um, – those employers who place employee well-being and resilience as a priority have a uh, have higher productivity 30 percent um, a three times greater brand and or product value and four times higher profit uh, so it's really it is a no-brainer in terms of trying to spend some time and give it attention as to how we can be better in our well-being and psychological practices in the workplace um, but it's I guess finding the time where that's the conundrum, we're all time poor, we do have less people working in the business. So I'd say the majority of business owners are probably doing a lot more uh, on the floor hours, kitchen, front of house, the whole thing. Um, so finding that time to sit down and really consider these practices because it takes time and effort um, is, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's such a tricky balance to get.
1: Yeah, it is such a tricky balance. And of course, you know, employee and indeed employer wellbeing isn't something you can just decide to switch on and then suddenly everything's rosy. I mean, when you, I mean, given that you have these kinds of job ads that really promote um, the, I guess, the nurturing environment that you're offering, what kinds of conversations do you tend to have in interviews? Like, do you feel like you're attracting people who are are really looking to, to dig into what you're actually offering or that have had perhaps negative experiences elsewhere that they want to ensure that they don't replicate? Yes. So I am I love it and I'm so proud of
0: us and the team when I get, a, get someone in an interview say, uh, I always ask the question, why would you like to work for us? And when they say, oh, I've heard that you're really good with mental health and stuff like that, it's like music to my ears. Um, so, then it's then talking about our policies, our procedures, uh, the way we prioritize it, having an employee assistance program in place, um, having uh, mental health first aiders in the, in the across the management team. I'd say almost all of our managers would have their mental health first aid. Um, the information that I've got as well, trying to craft a bit of a policy around um, just having conversations around the workplace. It doesn't there's a thing a lot of people will run will run away from this topic because it feels like it's too hard or it's too uh, too scary. You're going to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. Uh, but it can be really simple as just explicitly saying we want we are open to these conversations. And if you're struggling with something that is happening inside or outside of work, and really emphasizing that just because it hasn't happened at work, it doesn't mean that that doesn't have an impact on you um, and your performance and uh, how you can interact with everyone in the workplace, that's through the customers, through to the the team and suppliers. Um, It's really important to us that we prioritize that. And if we can help be a guide and a conduit to uh, some resources that that person needs, um, then that is how we can help. So understanding and having a suite of uh, resources to pull upon um, of services on the ground or helplines or, um, you know, particularly those free services that are available because there's a lot, there's a lot of amazing things out there. Um, Just to be able to guide people to that is sort of how we would have a conversation around what we do to promote mental health and wellbeing in the workplace.
1: And is that what you would define as mental health first aid or are there other aspects to it? Other aspects. Uh,
0: mental health first aid is more around having the ability to identify if and when someone is potentially in a crisis or not in crisis but needs to have a conversation or would I should say benefit from a conversation around their mental health and wellbeing and where they're at um, and their concerns and and how they're feeling, and again to guide them into uh, perhaps some resources that they can tap into um, to help help them feel better.
1: And do you see it working? And and does it help with retention? A hundred percent. So our industry average uh,
0: the in Australia is eighty percent for hospitality, which is the worst across industries. Um, and we were we were definitely at that before we really put a focus on mental health and well being, uh, and we sit under twenty percent. And of that twenty percent, only half are leaving. Uh, half are leaving only because they're leaving to study elsewhere. Because we've only got the one university in Tasmania, um, the competitiveness of other universities and what they can offer. So I tend to lose all those great um, people on gap years, or they're in. College and they're going to um, study somewhere else, uh, so it's definitely useful to the bottom line, and and we attribute that improvement um, largely being to being psychologically aware and being better in our practices, uh, and opening up the door to those conversations and the amount of people that we have supported through depression, anxiety, bipolar, substance abuse and addiction, um, sexual assault, rape, trauma, grief, suicide, all the things. um, We've always been able to retain and maintain that person being at work because we, we've worked really hard to creating a psychologically safe environment um, that they can feel comfortable to come and do what they do, maybe at not the 100% capacity that they could do perhaps before um, their mental health uh, is not so great, um, but being able to at least come and contribute and to uh, hopefully be almost part of their recovery journey, that coming to work and being able to, um, I guess, feel themselves or to contribute uh, and also that financial stress um, that they can still be functioning. Um, and if they're at a, you know, if they're only functioning at 50%, then we'll find a way of moving forward or uh, just working with that for the time being. I mean, there's obviously um, an end date to that in that you can't have that carry on for months on end but we certainly try and um, and be as understanding and compassionate as we can and we definitely say that that's what's attributed to us being able to be at, at less than 20% turnover.
1: Wow Bianca I mean some of those issues that your employees have faced are like like very profound and, and devastating and the I mean what's the it- you know, we've sort of talked about it from the business side, from this idea of being able to retain staff, you know, there's a staffing crisis, but this is a crisis in the lives of these people. Um, I mean, what does it feel like for you to be able to support people, as you say, you know, to, to stay employed or to return to employment um, and have that as part of their journey of recovery?
0: I just thrive off it. Uh, I've had a a tough personal year um, with the loss of a baby um, at the start of the year and for me to go through what I've gone through and then to have my team kind of do what I would do for them and that is be understanding and kind and compassionate and and to give empathy um, has, has really solidified the importance of us being kind to people, and that's that's what it comes down to. And uh, I guess in the not to make it sound like it's an ulterior motive, or that you're just being cold. In that, uh, it contributes to your bottom line in being able to retain these people and attract great people. But it's all it's all reciprocal, and it's also intertwined. And the relationships that we've built with people through their toughest of days and that they either are still with us or stayed with us for years and then we've still got an amazing relationship with them um, makes me love what I do even more. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And to instill that in our team, um, I hope that, you know, we all move around the industry's um, transient in that, uh, you know, people move around venue to venue over the years and have, you know, wanting to have a change and, I hope that they can take that on what they've learned with us and take that to other venues. And it is all really a big – I see it as a big picture piece. I certainly don't see it as just – it's just our venue and where, you know, we don't always get it right every time as well and that's the thing and that's human beings and that's relationships and that's connections and all that sort of stuff. But I see this as a big picture thing that if we can all – be a little bit better and we can all take practices around and share them with each other and then we can bolster and strengthen the hospitality community even more and in the post or ongoing pandemic um, world that we live in and hospitality copying it almost the hardest um, I think it's more important than ever that we work together in being more aware of all these things and how we can Understand um, and support people better.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I'm um, yeah really so sorry to hear about the loss of your baby. Um, I mean, uh, pregnancy loss and miscarriage and um, stillbirth is so still such taboo topics in our society. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's really. I mean, yeah. What a what a test case for you to have built this environment where these kinds of things could be spoken about and then to be thrown into a situation yourself where you could benefit from the culture that you created.
0: Absolutely. And I don't say it in a cocky way of like, I know all, but do having studied, like I've got a bachelor of behavioral science, I'm mental health first aid instructor and I just live and breathe this sort of you know mental health and wellness and I've been really fortunate that I've not uh, had a clinical diagnosis of anything prior to this. Um so then to go through what we've gone through it's kind of interesting I had a friend sort of say that It's almost like you can push the fourth wall, like kind of like in Fleabag, how she talks to the camera um, when she's in the moment and can observe herself. Um, And it's kind of the same for me. I can kind of observe the things I've learnt and the things I know about mental health and illness and wellness. And um, it's kind of a fascinating – I mean, it's been – awful and it's you know it's still the journey that I'm on and I probably forever will be but it is I do find it really fascinating and I guess yeah it, it's confirmed um, a lot of my thinking around this topic but also I'm le- I'm, I'm learning and I've, I always want to be a lifelong learner but now I can learn from personal experience and how I can what those learnings I've taken from I can try and Be even better and communicate um, to employers and businesses how they can be better around this space, which is uh, it comes down to grief and loss. And we all will experience grief and loss at some point in our lives, it's just kind of a matter of when. Um, And hearing when I talk about my story, and then hearing of other people's stories um, of perhaps how a workplace has. Uh, not knowing how to respond and react, um, it saddens me. And so if we can, we've come so far with talking about mental health and illness in the workplace, we're getting better. There's still a long way to go. But then this is another taboo topic um, and a topic that business, uh, probably a lot of business people don't think is important to know or learn or to incorporate into policies and, um, And, yeah, we've got the opportunity now, I think, in the veil of COVID is to be better at understanding this because it touches us all. Mm.
1: And I think also it really, you know, to me it speaks of this idea that whatever policies you've got, they're not, that's not that you're now done. It's that things always need to be revised and revisited and and strengthened. Um,
0: 100%, yep. Yeah. Yep. Because the, yeah, it's not a box ticked. It's always a constant, and that's the thing with the psychology world is that um, research will be will come out and be updated, and that we'll learn more. And uh, we've got yeah, things will change, and so we've got to be best practice, and that that evolves. Um, and I think we could all say in hospitality, our workplaces look very different from they did 10 years ago, even five years ago, even pre-COVID. Our focus on mental health and wellness was definitely not as strong uh, just three years ago. Um, So we've really come a long way in those three years. But with the, I mean, the three main points from the deputy report talk about widespread burnout um, and the prolonged stress, um, the shortage of workers and crisis fatigue. And then that all, it's just all so intertwined with mental health and wellness and um, so many business people will just almost like um, go like, uh, what am I trying to say? They'll just gloss over when you start talking about mental health. Um, But the stats are there. The evidence is there. We've got to be, we've got to turn our attention to it and be better at understanding how, how can we uh, remedy what is happening now, but then move into a prevention an early intervention model. So in terms of um, I think in our industry for hospitality, we have a unique position and opportunity to be really part of prevention and early intervention into mental illness. Um, we largely employ um people under 25 so uh, in Tasmania that's 41% of our workforce is made up of under 25s and under 25 is that is when 75% of people that will go on to develop a mental illness have had their first episode and so if we can then um, be better in our businesses to know where to guide people to into better practices into the um, into understanding what mental health looks like and what things that they may need in their life that could be um, a, a professional therapist, like counsellor, psychologist, social worker. It could be um, in how we exercise better, how we sleep better, how we eat better, how we know that there's a, a telephone line that we can call if we're having um, if we're having a, a, a struggle. Um, if we can arm our people with better tools in their toolbox then hopefully we can look to then be not just on the reactive end of all of these things and be in a prevention model that would be the ultimate big hairy audacious goal I believe
1: Mm, well I mean I love that because I love this idea that young people could be going into hospitality and coming out of it better equipped, um, more articulate about these issues. It's really, you know, it's really a, a service to society that these businesses are now able to offer. It just, um, it's so, it's so positive, um, and it's really exciting, actually.
0: That's right, and the productivity. I mean, the it just yeah I feel like I bash my head against a brick wall um, sometimes with this topic because um, the majority of people just say oh we don't have time to look at a policy or we don't have time to do a mental health first aid I don't have time to um, listen to a podcast for example <laughs> um, is uh, I just think it's no excuse anymore we've got the opportunity to be bettering it it could sound a bit wanky but we can do we can be part of bettering our country and the mental illness in our country if we just all did just a little bit more
1: yeah well and do you have time to be hunting for staff like every second day, and do you have time to not be shooting for thirty percent higher productivity? So it's um yeah, it is really hard to carve out the time for those kinds of things that aren't just sitting right in front of you, you know, demanding to be done. Um, but it, I suppose you know the the more that people can see the. You know, really, the short, medium, and long-term benefits um, in the business and in the wider in the, the wider community. Then, I suppose, perhaps it does make it. Um, yeah, it just becomes an imperative.
0: Absolutely, and I don't begrudge um, anyone for not feeling like they have the time because hospitality. Uh, as you say, it is—it's not right in front of us. Like we're used to um, a docket coming through. We've got to make the order. We've got customers in front of us. We've got bookings in front of us. Emails. Unpack a box of wine. Like everything that we do in our operational job, excuse me, is is immediate. And to have that time to sit down and do strategy or policy or um, the stuff that's not pressing is really difficult because that's how we're wired. We're wired for the, um, for what's in front of us.
1: Bianca, let's shift lanes a little bit. And you, you mentioned at the top of our chat about you know being able to offer an experience and how you felt that customers were looking for that. And it's, it's it is something else that was mentioned in the deputy report that they talk about this experience deficit that Australians have experienced over the past couple of years, and that those high value dining experiences are really appealing to people. I mean, do you? How do you? How do you see that? And do you? Can you sort of give pointers to other businesses into how, you know, no matter what level their business is at, what what kinds of experiences do you think people are even unconsciously looking for?
0: Mm. I think for us in the restaurant side of things, we've always wanted to take people on the journey of the produce, so where it's from. If you can share one story about um, about where the produce is from or some it could be a funny anecdote. It could be an interesting anecdote about a producer, um, or you know, the wine that we're pouring by the glass. The guys picked in COVID when before we had JobKeeper, and they all, um, you know, we found them all jobs at the local vineyards. And this is this is their love piece sort of thing um, that they got to contribute to. Is I think we couldn't be easily uh, assume that experience means something like. A tour, or uh, like something really, um, uh,
1: what's the word? Like high input kind of.
0: Yeah, but I don't. It doesn't need to be. I think experience in that they've been able to connect. I think, and I think that is another thing post COVID is that it, I think experience actually means connection. So that after COVID and we were disconnected from people from in so many ways, we're all now looking for connection. Uh, and we hold hold that as a high priority and we all understood how much it meant to us to be able to dine out when we weren't allowed to dine out anymore and to um, maybe have a bit of banter with your waiter or just to connect with the person that you're dining with Um, connect with the food connect with the chef that you bought their book and you've got it on the kitchen table and you can't cook from it because it's too complex sort of stuff like we all just want to connect I think so not necessarily thinking yeah it needs to be this high input experience yes we are lucky at Stillwater we can have people stay they get the full experience of the room we deck it all out with local produce um they can go on a tour if they like they get to wake up and roll downstairs and have breakfast and have dinner the night before and be able to roll upstairs to their bed but that's only we've only got seven rooms um and we're a 65-seated dining room outdoor dining area wine bar area um we are first and foremost a restaurant, uh, and so our experience from someone coming in just for a coffee through to a three-course, four-course dinner with matching wine. Um, I guess we just focus on being able to connect with our guest um, mm. and to yeah to promote provenance, as we've all understood now is so important in Australia. Uh, and yeah, to say where the coff- to say where the beans are from, to say um, where the oysters are from that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. It it makes it, yeah, because the word experience can sound really, um, yeah, like that you've got to put a lot of time and, you know, personnel hours and um, perhaps money into, but you you make it sound very achievable. And it it actually makes me think of something I just saw at a really cute cafe in Melbourne in Preston called Tyler's Milk Bar that just the other day they, 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 um, just taped 15 or something vouchers for milkshakes to local lampposts and park benches and whatever it was. And it was just like a cute little treasure hunt, I guess, in the school holidays that people could go around and find these little tickets and come in to claim their milkshake. And you just think that's so nice, like the engagement is so great. It's pretty low-cost low, low cost. Um yeah, but high engagement and just real, yeah, just a real sort of community spirit kind of thing. And exactly as you say, it like, it creates that connection.
0: Yes. Um, we're lucky in Tasmania, the, we've got like a Tassie, through the Tourism Industry Council, there's a ambassadors program and they've sort of been trying to add to um, like a learning module online. It's like a two-hour, I think a two-hour course online to learn about um, the region. So, uh, there's a Launceston one about to be released, which I'm really excited to get our team to go through and do because it could be as well in that connection. It could just be you've delivered the coffee. It could be they're spending $4.50 with you um, and their experience, uh, the, the waiter might make conversation and what are you up to for the day? And they could be a tourist. They could be visiting. They don't, they're not sure what they're going to do today or they're going around the vineyards, which ones should they stop at? And for the local person to give them some recommendations, like people love that. They thrive off that. I remember that when I go travelling um, in when someone, when a local's recommended me to go somewhere. And, again, it's just that connection. And then they get to connect with you away from you because you've recommended them to go somewhere and you've loved it. Um,
1: yeah, that's so true. They, they, they carry you in their heart with that. And um, Bianca, may I be so cheeky as to cross-platform promote the producers in Launceston yes. <laughs> podcast series that we made down in your region and you can tell your customers that there's this ACE podcast series on the <laughs> Producers Podcast, which is t- chatting to all kinds of um, Northern Tassie producers and they can get to know them as they as they drive around. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely, I will do that. I'll add that. I'll even make a little card maybe for that too so they can find it easy nice one let us <laughs> let us send you some collateral yeah. um, so um bianca let's finish off with you know great to be great to talk more about solutions is there anything in terms of government policies that you would like to see um that could help i suppose with with mental health in hospitality and getting more staff in in the doors and all that kind of stuff
0: mm. i mean the government are uh, they there's some initiatives that they are funding that probably a lot of people don't know about um, in terms of mental health and in that prevention or sort of in the early intervention kind of phase, which is really interesting. Um, There's different agents. There's a sort of a pilot of lots of other things going on in that space. So I think that's bubbling away, which is excellent. But um, in terms of uh, things that um, in this report, uh, things like universal childcare, so making it more accessible and affordable. And I know as a mum, we've got um, a son, he's six, um, and it's it's challenging. And I've got some really amazing, um, particularly a lot of single parents. I've got quite a few single parents that work for us. And to have access, better access to childcare would solve a lot of issues, I find. Uh, being able to get a lot of those Um, that cohort back to work if they wanted, of course. Um, But school hours are just so restrictive um, until they are at school as well. You've got many years where that parent parents maybe want to get back into work. I think we've got this untapped, and the stats sort of say it, that we've got this untapped market um, of labour that are just kind of ready and waiting to go but the childcare is what's holding us back. So I really think that I'd love to see um, the labour, and I know that they've kind of hinted that they're going to look at this, um, at this childcare piece, but I think that's one of the biggest ones, particularly because hospitality can provide that flexible work. Um, we can work around all sorts of different hours um, and provide a, a range of options to people that need that flexible Time, so if you're, yeah, I, I think that's a really big piece, um, and I guess, I guess I don't know if it's maybe necessarily a government policy, but in workplaces kind of valuing and converting people, more people to permanent part time, I think would keep a lot of people in the industry. I know uh, anecdotally over the years, you have people that have worked in the industry for almost decades and they don't really understand how sick leave and annual leave works because they've never been offered a like a permanent part-time role. They don't even know what pro rata means. Um, so uh, perhaps there is a gap there for government to be helping employers do that um, easier um, I think is, yeah, something that the government can work on.
1: Yeah, know I think – Both massive issues and, yeah, it would be great to see, yeah, those conversations pick up momentum and, yeah, and the change that follows. Um, Bianca, so good to catch up with you. Is there anything else that you'd like to say?
0: Uh, 93% of Australian workers say emotional and mental wellbeing is as important as pay uh, and how we can... uh, give employers confidence of what that looks like in a way that it's not going to cost them more to have policies and procedures in place. Um, I think there's a long way to go. And that's potentially something that government can uh, assist with as well in whether it's educational resources or things that are a bit more specific and tailored to business so there's a lot of stuff that's out there and a lot of amazing organizations that do a lot of things for the individual but there's not a huge amount out there for a business. And then I think you layer that with hospitality and tourism almost need a, a little variation of that because I think we've got some unique challenges around our shift work and the nature of, of our work um, and the high pressure environment that we we do work in. Um, perhaps there's an opportunity for someone or something to to help with that because I think a lot of employers out there are running blind as to they see that stat, but what does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, so almost like some kind of like concierge service to get business owners on track with the kinds of changes they could implement. I mean, is that yes. that's the kind of thing yep. you're thinking? Yes. Yeah. yep, Yeah, yep. I think that would that would be really great. Um, okay, well, it was really good to catch up with you. Um, uh, I look forward to... Yeah, joining you at Stillwater for an actual meal before New too long. <laughs> um, just love that part of the world. But thanks so much, Bianca. Really great to have you back on Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. Hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic. Get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirty linen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.